2: It wishes us well or ill that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival.
3: You have found the 22 November Network, the voice of the grassroots JFK research community. This is the Lone
0: Gunman Podcast with your host, your boy, Rob Clark. The Lone Gunman Podcast.
3: hello hello man I could listen to that all day long it's so soothing oh I love me some Spanish guitar welcome to episode number 28 I believe of the Lone Gummin podcast this is your boy Rob Clark coming at you and today we're gonna talk a little bit about Lee Oswald And his Mexican trip. Let me turn this off real quick. Okay. Many, 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 many researchers are split. Uh, Some believe Lee Oswald did go to Mexico City. And some believe that he did not go to Mexico City. And that he was impersonated there. We're going to get into all aspects of it, but first, let me remind everyone to, if you haven't yet, make your plans to attend the JFK Historical Group's conference on the Warren Report, 50 Years Later, A Critical Look, in Alexandria, Virginia, at the end of the month, on the 26th, the 27th, and the 28th. At the Crown Plaza Old Town Hotel in Alexandria, Virginia. You don't have to order your tickets up front. You can just show up at the door, get in. Uh, if you want to, you need to contact Dr. David Denton. Uh, the information for to contact him is uh, up on the 22November.wordpress.com site. Or you can go to Change Hist JFK. Dot blogspot.com that's change H I S T J F K.blogspot.com to get in touch with dr. David Denton and order your tickets uh, you're gonna need to call the hotel on your own if you would like to secure accommodations there of course you don't have to stay there uh, you can stay somewhere else if you like but um, it, it's a three-day conference. Uh, With such speakers as Ed Tatro, Gary Powers Jr, um, Doug Horn, Bill Simpich, the list goes on and on. A new addition, Ed Haslam. Very excited to see and talk to all these people and hear what they have to say about the corrupt piece of crap that is the Warren Report. Me and my buddy Doug. Campbell, the host of the excellent podcast, The Dallas Action, is going to be there in person on the ground. And we would love to see you there, mingle with you, chat with you, hang out with you, get a beer with you. So please. And I saw some new cool things. If you cannot get there by plane, train, or automobile, Francesca. (laughs) And she already saw this. They have human bird wings now. Okay, you have to flap a lot. So you might want to start working out now to get there. But you can buy these human bird wings and you can flap your way there. Awesome. And if you don't believe me, go on YouTube and look up human bird wings. Seriously, I'll put the link up on the site. It's crazy. Now, let's dive back into Oswald in Mexico. Uh, One of the first really real books that I read concerning um, Oswald's Mexico trip in depth was a book called Passport to Assassination. And I can't remember exactly who wrote it at this time. Uh, It's packed away in my... Many boxes of JFK books. And I'll look it up. I'll post it on the site. Along with this podcast link. So you can go back and check it out. But. The guy who wrote it was a Russian. um, Embassy worker. In Mexico City. I don't even It might have been Valerie Kostikov that wrote it. Hell I don't know. But. uh, What amazed me most about it is his relaying of the tale of Oswald coming to the Russian embassy to pretty much beg them to get him a visa to go into Cuba. And why it stood out to me is that they said that he broke down into tears and that he pulled a gun out in the embassy and threatened to shoot himself. He said he might as well kill himself if he couldn't get this visa. Now, of course, they disarmed him and gave him back his weapon after he had calmed down a bit. Uh, but apparently, he eluded and maybe even mentioned uh, killing killing Kennedy um, to them, and you don't get this story from anywhere else, except, of course, from this book, Passport to Assassination, which I highly recommend, you know, it could all be KGB propaganda bullshit, but I don't know, um, you know, it goes into, a lot of the depth of the relationship between the Cuban consulate and the, and the Russian consulate there in Mexico city. And, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, the Russians and their in their KGB files on Oswald and, uh, a lot of cool stuff. There was a, uh, there was a Russian that defected in the sixties. I can't remember his name, but uh, he, Some of what he says is in the book about Oswald. But what's interesting is, okay, that the guy at the Russian embassy swears that it was the real Lee Harvey Oswald that came to see him. Okay. Which doesn't jive with any pictures because we don't have any pictures of Oswald coming in or out of the Russian or Cuban embassy in Mexico City. But the Russians swear that it was the real Lee Harvey Oswald. It wasn't, you know, the guy in the pictures that the CIA has. You know, the, the older guy, the Saul guy, the, the stocky guy. Um, which always confounded me because a lot of researchers out there put a lot of faith in, in the CIA and the, the information that they gave to the Warren Commission um, you know they said they didn't have that these are the pictures of of, of of Lee Harvey Oswald that they had going in and out of the embassy now obviously it's not Lee Harvey Oswald they said that they had tapes of, of conversations because they had the phones tapped in the in the Cuban and Russian consulate And they said they had a phone conversation of of Lee Harvey Oswald. But that it was destroyed. Um, But people claim to have heard it. And that it wasn't Lee Harvey Oswald. Because if you remember... The person that supposedly went to the Cuban consulate spoke very poor Russian. Now... The guys at the Russian embassy said that the Oswald there spoke pretty good Russian. You know, decent Russian. So, it's hard to tell what to think if the CIA really does have pictures of Lee Oswald going in and out of the consulate. But, okay, but you remember, you know, the plan of the Warren Commission, okay, was to pin this on a lone nut. Assassin. Okay, not a communist agent, not a Castro sympathizer. Okay, they didn't want to start World War III, or so the it was sold to from Lyndon Johnson to Earl Warren. You know that the conclusion had to be it was it was Lee Oswald and Lee Oswald alone. It was no country behind him. It was no allegiance behind him. It was no political belief behind it. He was a, just a disgruntled loser, you know, who had nothing left to lose. Um, that's the portrait that they wanted painted of Oswald. So would it make sense that the CIA would send, um, the wrong pictures and say, well, this is all we got, you know, but they really do have pictures of of Oswald going into the embassy. But that if they gave that to the Warren Commission, that could be spun 20 different ways. If they gave him the real telephone transcripts of Oswald calling the Russian embassy, it could be spun, you know, a certain way. Because the reason Oswald went to Mexico, so they say, was to obtain a Cuban visa and from, and from once he's in Cuba to go back to Russia. And supposedly to have Marina join him, you know, uh, later on. Now, of course we have Judith Baker and her reasoning for Lee going to Cuba. Which was to kill Castro with their cancer soup. Now, of course this is a very touchy subject in the JFK community because a lot of people believe Judith Baker unconditionally and unequivocally in her story and a lot of people don't because it doesn't jive with a lot of the established facts and timelines that we have available to us in accordance to the you know the history of the assassination and the events surrounding it. Now, I'm not going to sit here and speculate and say that the David Ferry and, and, uh, you know, whatever he was doing or whatever they had Judy Baker doing. I don't know. You know, they were doing something down there with Mary Sherman and her getting killed. I don't know. I hope to learn more from Ed Haslam at the conference. Because a lot of people point to his Doctor Mary's Monkey book, you know, as being the the definitive book on what was going on down there in New Orleans with Ferry, Oswald, Baker, and everybody else. But people, a lot of people, don't know about the first book that he wrote called Mary Ferry and the Monkey Virus that does not include Judith Baker in it at all. Okay, it it deals with. You know why David Ferry, you know had all these rats in his apartment and mice, and and ties her ties him into, you know developing trying to develop a fast acne cancer to 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 weaponize, you know in order to kill Castro. And of course we know that David Ferry, Guy Bannister, and, and and Clay Shaw and all these guys were vehement anti-Castro guys, anti-communist guys. And I see, of course, them being involved in the plot of the assassination, most definitely. Um, well, back to Oswald for a second. You know, we get into more theories about Oswald possibly being impersonated by his, his double... In Mexico. And there's a lot of things written about this. The Torbid document, for one, that he went to Mexico City for a meeting of some of the plotters of the assassination. Um, Harry Dean, Richard Case Niguel, um, Guy Gabaldon. Who else? I don't know, but it's, and that, you know, while he was busy doing these meetings, his double, you know, be it Ponce de Leon or William Seymour was busy, uh, building him a legend of, of, of different activities to paint him in a certain light, to paint him as a uh, a Russian communist sympathizer or uh, a pro-Castro guy you know he wanted to go to Cuba you know to help Fidel you know fight the infidels and all this crap but we know that's not true that the pro-Castro thing was just a cover okay now I recently read a a book by Robert D. Morrow entitled Betrayal And once again, you know, he's one of those guys, uh, former CIA guy who you don't know what to believe about him. Um, the book that I read is, is, is very interesting. It reads like a novel, like a fiction novel. Um, because a lot it's, a lot of it is, based on what other people told him, so he says, because of course he wasn't there. Um, He was involved with Mario Coley, who had a plan to uh, make counterfeit Cuban money in order to pretty much destroy the Cuban economy from from the outside in. Pretty much the same thing we did to Russia to end the Cold War. And Mario Coley, he was kind of like the de facto Cuban president in exile. And he was arrested, of course, by Bobby Kennedy and them. And given a jail sentence of, I think, two years. Something to that effect. Um, But Moro was was tied in with Coley and what they were doing in in uh more hotels of flying into Cuba with David Ferry to to get out some pictures of the um nuclear missile uh sites in Cuba and very harrowing that uh, you know he was they were flying in at night and they were being led by these smudge pots that were lit along the way. And they, they had to land in the dark. And they barely got out of there alive. Ferry got injured by a stray bullet that hit a rock. And it came through the window and pierced his shoulder. And he passed out and fainted. And Morrow had to take control of the plane and get him back to Florida. And he also tells of uh, a trip think it was to somewhere in Europe to pick up, uh, you know, guns, money, and they met Ferry over there in Spain and that they had, they had, uh, you know, some clandestine things to do over there and that, that, uh, Ferry and Shaw were definitely CIA and Moro also claims to have procured, four 7.35 millimeter Mannlicher Carcano's. Three of which he got for the plot and one that he kept for himself. Now the 7.35 millimeter Carcano was a much more superior uh, weapon than the one Oswald had, the 6.5. It was a much better sniper weapon. Um... And it was weird reading his book because a lot of the names that we know, of course, are in there, like Jack Ruby, Lee Oswald, Clay Shaw, David Ferry, and some of the names he had to change. And I don't know exactly why, but names like uh, Lauren Hall, William Seymour, uh, Richard Case Nigel, people like that, he had to change. Um, But you can tell who they are in the narrative, And according to Morrow, it was Seymour, who was the Oswald double, I think he called him Bill Jamello in the book, but uh, he was, and then Lauren Hall uh, was his buddy, they had uh, Lauren Hall and Guy Bannister, I think behind the picket fit. No, 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 no. Guy Bannister, they had Guy Bannister in Dallas back in the parking lot in another car. They had Lauren Hall and a spotter. I don't know who who he was supposed to be, the spotter guy, because they used a fake name. But uh, it was a Cuban. And they had William Seymour on the 6th floor of the depository. They had Oswald... Making sure the side, the uh, the door back by the loading dock was open, so Seymour could get in and out. They said they said Seymour came in like at about 12:15, made his way up to the uh, sixth floor, and got himself set up there. And they had he had Jack Ruby and who else? Um. I'm not sure who this guy was supposed to be either, but it was the guy captured in Mexico City on the surveillance photos. I guess it was supposed to be this Saul guy. His name was Rigel in the uh in the novel. I'm not sure exactly who he's supposed to be, but they had three teams set up and coordinated by Banister through these uh radios, walkie-talkies. And you know, they had um Seymour impersonating oswald now for the mexico city part of it all okay they had oswald only in mexico for a very short period of time before him leaving the country and heading to montreal for something i'm not sure exactly what it was for he was supposed to take something up there Uh, And then they had Seymour doing the impersonations of him down there. And then they had Oswald coming back to Mexico in order to leave to come back to the States. It's very, very uh, convoluted. Uh, You'd have to read it to understand it better than I can explain it here. And in the book they had uh, William Seymour impersonating Oswald as the, uh, the Leon Oswald that Perry Russo met at David Ferry's little uh, party where the the uh supposedly the you know plans for the assassination were formed. They had uh they had him impersonating him at the gun range, impersonating him at the Lincoln Mercury dealership. And a lot of researchers are not convinced that Oswald ever went to Mexico at all. That it was uh that it was someone else you know but we have accounts of course from the man that supposedly rode beside him who just uh albert osborne or john howard bowen i think was his name he had an alias and supposedly this guy ran an assassination school in mexico or for a sniper school or something uh, and he was from uh, tennessee which if you go back a little bit to the end of July and Oswald had made a trip somehow to Tennessee, um, to the atomic energy museum there in Oak Ridge and why he would do that. I don't know other than to meet someone there. And the only person related to the, the narrative of the assassination from Tennessee is Albert Osborne, the man he supposedly made the trip to Mexico with on the same bus. And of course, we have other witnesses on the bus traveling to Mexico. We have Oswald's signature on the the hotel register in Mexico that looks like his signature, you know. But we have differing descriptions from Sylvia Duran who claimed that he was a blonde haired blue-eyed guy. Uh, and then we have, the, of course, the, the pictures from um, the CIA surveillance cameras who show us the, the, the uh, stocky Russian-looking guy, Saul. And it gets very, very uh, confusing. And I'll post up a picture of the blonde haired guy, that was supposedly caught, and who, who uh, Sylvia Duran uh, relayed that well, it fits her description of the man. Um, and as I pointed out to Doug, that the only two still classified testimonies of the HSCA are William Seymour's and Sylvia Duran's. Why is that, do you suppose? You know, they, the HSCA was, was given out uh, immunity, immunized testimony, okay, for the truth. They wanted the truth. They were given saying, look, you tell us the truth, nothing's going to happen to you, okay? You're not going to be tried for this in court. Nothing you say can be held against you or used against you. You have testimony for immunity. So what if Seymour told the truth? You know, what if he said, this is what happened. I, imper- I was impersonating Oswald. I was the one at the embassy. You know, I was the one that, that went to Sylvia Odio's house. I was the one that went to the Lincoln Mercury dealership. I was the one that, that was doing the stuff in Mexico. Well, then you know, that, that right there implicates a whole set of different guys, uh, than Lee, than Lee Harvey Oswald. And the picture painted by a lot of people is of course that Oswald, um, was a snitch for the FBI and that once Bannister and Ferry and Shaw found out about it. They decided to make him the Patsy. Because there was an arms... Or there was a, a camp... A guerrilla training camp set up at Lake train that got busted. They lost a lot of guns. Good men. And this is likely because of... Of Lee Oswald spilling the beans to the FBI about it. Um, the Chicago plot was supposedly foiled by a caller named Lee according to Abraham Bolden I'm not sure you know how much you can attribute to that I mean it might be true but do we know if it was Lee or somebody saying that they were Lee we, we just will never know <clears throat> and an interesting theory put forth by Morrow in his book is that the, uh, the Florida plot the Chicago plot were basically dry runs to ferret out and see if that their plan had been infiltrated and what i mean by that is they went in increments all right first it was it was it was meant to be tampa word got out to the president He ended up doing his speech anyway, doing his motorcade anyway. Excuse me. And the plot was called off at the last minute. And it was done to see if anybody was going to drop a dime on the assassination plotters to foil it. Now, the same thing happened in Chicago, so they say. They had a passy ready to go. I think Gilberto Lopez was the one in Florida. Thomas Arthur Vallee, the one in Chicago. And, of course, Lee Harvey Oswald in, in Dallas. Of course, with that plot being finally given the green light to go. Now, a lot of what Morrow said is that, of course, Jack Ruby was in charge of of the planning, the Dallas side of the assassination, along with Guy Bannister and Ferry from New Orleans. Now, Clay Shaw, David Ferry, set it up so they would have alibis. Uh, Morrow says that Bannister was impersonating a Secret Service agent on the knoll to. To, uh, and that he was he was the one that officer smith turned or that was turned away that he turned away officer smith when smith was coming up the uh, grassy knoll and that the uh the guys pulled oswald out of the building quickly like they, they said that lee oswald was sitting in the bathroom the whole time the shooting was going on on the uh second floor and that after the uh, the Baker truly encounter there in the lunchroom that Lee Oswald made his way out the back of the building and was picked up by by the car and taken a couple blocks away and dropped off but then the car came back of course to pick up uh, William Seymour and guy Bannister. Well, Bannister fled on foot, he donned uh, some horn-rimmed glasses and a raincoat, and was seen hastily leaving the back of the depository, only to meet up with them later, and what Morrow says is that, of course, Jack Ruby was in charge of planning everything, that he was supposed to have, you know, gotten Tippett in on the plot, and that the whole Tippett thing happened because they had William Seymour walking. Tippett was supposed to meet him and, and, and Seymour was supposed to tell him where to go to go arrest Oswald at the theater. Well, he said when Tippett rolled up, he he was pissed because he didn't know about the whole assassination of the president thing. And he said, I'm not going to be a part of it. And he said, you know, you sons of bitches are going to pay for what you did. And got out of the car and went to shoot Seymour. Seymour got him first. And Seymour ran, dropped his coat under a car there, and went and hid in the Abundant Life Church of Fred Christman's uh, until, until everything blew over. Um, and because Tippett was supposed to kill Oswald in the theater, you know, making an arrest and be a hero, well, the uh, the officers that, that made it to the theater, um, of course, took Oswald alive. Well, then Jack Ruby had to do something drastic to ensure that Oswald didn't talk or didn't make it to trial. And we all know what Jack Ruby did. And in order to answer some of these questions, you know, of the assassination you have to put forth some of these theories and run them through and see what sticks and what doesn't what makes sense and what doesn't and i do believe jack ruby is dirtier than everybody thinks he is you know he did a good job of of trying to be convincing that he was a, a you know a kennedy sympathizer and didn't want jackie kennedy to suffer through anymore have to come back for a trial you know and then uh he desperately wanted out of Dallas you know but he was he was a mob guy he was a drug runner he was a gun runner he was a he was a money man you know he was uh he was deep into it and you know the the mafia was too you know, the CIA was using the mafia to try to get the Castro and, and Bobby Kennedy was running a lot of this stuff as the, uh, attorney general, you know, a lot of it Jack didn't even know about. And a lot of people think that this is why after the assassination that Bobby Kennedy didn't immediately, you know, start his investigation on his own because he kind of knew deep down what had happened that that the things that he was doing and the guys that he were running, these assassination teams and somehow got turned around and aimed at his brother and, you know, it was payback for what had happened to the, you know, the 2506 and brigade and and what happened in in the Bay of Pigs. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of people thought that Jack was getting real, real soft on communism and, and becoming a, a, to have relations wanting to have relations with Russia and not doing anything about Cuba and he was not a very popular entity Uh, he was actively trying to destroy the CIA from the top down and you know he had fired K uh, Charles Cabell and uh, Alan Dulles he had implemented the uh, DIA which is the defense intelligence agency and uh to try to undermine the central intelligence agency and uh trying to pool all the military intelligence into one entity uh but the CIA was just too powerful at this point they are they already had their tendrils in the military deeply they already had established uh you know media contacts they already had established uh you know industrial uh weapons contracts. They were they were just in too deep. They were too entrenched to be to be scattered to the wind and then uh taken out by Jack Kennedy. They were just too powerful. And I don't even know if the DIA is still in existence today. I really honestly couldn't tell you. Um or if they were swallowed up by the CIA later. I'm not sure. And you know, that's why a lot of these people put this, and it's, it's been the, you know, the, the kind of the new thing It was Johnson, you know, that masterminded the assassination and all that, which I just don't buy it. You know, I think he, you know, he might've knew, he might've been uh, talked to about it, you know, um, and surely Hoover had a, had a part in it. He knew who the hell the Oswald was. You know, and and if if they were paying this guy two hundred bucks a month to be an informant, and they, he was on the payroll, then obviously the FBI had something to cover up. And obviously, if 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 Oswald was working for the CIA, doing his uh, fake, uh, his fake, uh, shit, I can't remember the word, defection, uh, to the to the to, to the United uh, to the USSR, then. uh you know, he was, he was an asset for the CIA. He was an informant for the FBI. I don't even know if he knew who he's working for, but he was getting money. Uh, you know, Ruby was paying him. They said they were doing drops at the library. They had a spot, you know, to, to exchange information and, uh, and money. So it's, it's a gigantic mess. It's hard to tell exactly what the truth is. Once again, um, But I'm a firm believer that Oswald was being impersonated and uh, that it was, I would say, William Seymour doing most of the impersonating. To my belief, I mean, he's an associate of Lauren Hall and Lawrence Howard and, of course, the Interpen guys. And if you want to know more about them, go listen to Doug's podcast. He gets into it big time. And, uh, I just think those guys were dirty. You know, they were, they were drug addicts. They were, uh, they were the real deal. I mean, they were cold-blooded killers. They, they used to, you know, invade other countries for fun. Okay. These type of people, these guys are, they, 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 you know, rode around the country, uh, giving speeches and, and pitching, pitching their cause to, uh, people with money. They would put out uh, donation cans all over the place and ride back and forth and collect the money out of those. These guys live by the skin of their teeth, the seat of their pants, and for the glory of, of just being free and doing what they wanted to do. I mean, these guys were the real deal. Um, but, of course, we're just going to have to wait until 2017 hopefully when the uh f- all the files are released and we can finally get a hold of uh Seymour and Duran's testimony and see what they have to say about it um but yeah it's it's really intriguing stuff when you really get down to bare bones and try to figure out what Oswald was doing in Mexico and i highly recommend the book Passport to Assassination i'll put up a link uh, so you know who wrote it and uh, possibly to Amazon if they have one. Go check it out. But uh, that is going to do it, I believe, for this week. This is your boy Rob Clark coming at you, beamed up to the satellite, down directly to your ears. This is Rob Clark, and I am out. Just a boy got a
2: fish and see Please see me Reaching out for someone I can't see Take my hand Let's see where we wake up tomorrow Best laid plans Sometimes it's just the one night stand I'll um, be damn cupid's demanding back his arrow. So let's get drunk on, on Tuesday. God, tell us the reason it is wasted on the year. It's hunting season, and the lambs around the Uh, say, the dust the galaxy monastery When I for the into reality Don't you dare know let memories bring you sorrow Yes, still I'm manual and the right, the the
1: J.F.K. assassination film by Gail Nix Jackson. The true story of an ordinary man swept up in extraordinary events. Orville Nix took a home movie in Dealey Plaza of the J.F.K. assassination. The original film is missing and only copies exist. The Nix film shows the infamous grassy knoll sequence of the J.F.K. assassination in Dealey Plaza. Why was it missing? What did Orville Nix see? Could the U.S. government and mass media be part of a conspiracy to hide the truth from the world? Orville Nix, The Missing JFK Assassination Film, is not the typical JFK assassination book. This book does not attempt to answer who killed JFK, but why we should question actions of the time and why the truth was withheld from the public. Written by his granddaughter, Gail Nix Jackson, in a narrative style, the book shares the story of Orville Nix and how he was intimidated, yet remained adamant to what he witnessed that horrific day. Orville Nix, The Missing JFK Assassination Film. Available at gailnixjackson.com. That's gailnixjackson.com.
2: Fuck you, Ralph.
0: You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to.